You're listening to the SLP Book Club. We're your hosts, Laura Geisert and Adrian Frost. This month, we're reading Smart But Scattered by Peg Dawson and Richard Guare. Let's get into it. Hi, Adrian. Hi, Laura. Welcome back to the SLP Book Club. This month, we're discussing Smart But Scattered. And in today's episode, we're going to be covering chapters 15 through 18. And we're in the portion of the book where they're going through each executive skill, skill by skill. So each chapter is going to cover one skill and really give a more in-depth look at how to intervene if that's a weakness in one of your students or in your own child. Chapter 15 is Teaching Task Initiation. Task initiation is the ability to begin projects or activities without undue procrastination in an efficient or timely manner. And even adults tend to put off until last the tasks that they like the least when they have a long to-do list. I think, Adrian, you and I both identified task initiation as one of our weaknesses, right? Yeah, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) So we are both massive procrastinators, and this chapter was really speaking to me. Yeah, This doesn't apply to tasks we want to do. We don't say that a kid is really good at task initiation if they always start playing with their Legos on time. It only applies to things we find unpleasant, aversive, or tedious, so things that we really have to make ourselves do. When kids are little, we can get them to begin tasks more independently by putting in place routines. They teach the child that certain things have to be done at a set time each day in a set sequence. And after some prompting and cueing, children internalize routines and become more likely to initiate them on their own. But yeah, task initiation is a really important skill that kids are going to need in school and beyond. Obviously, you have to have task initiation If you are working a job, especially something where you don't have a ton of oversight, like being an SLP, (laughs) like there's no one there telling me, start that report. (laughs) I have to sit down and do it. So when kids are young, give them developmentally appropriate chores to do and teach them that you have to set aside what you want to do in favor of something that needs to get done, even though it might not be fun. There's a questionnaire on page 223 that will help you judge where a child might fall developmentally. So it starts with preschool and kindergarten. You want kids to be able to follow adult directives immediately, stop playing to follow instructions, or get started getting ready for bed with just one reminder. In lower elementary, you want kids to be able to remember and follow one to two step routines, get right to work on assignments in class, that's a big one, and start homework at agreed upon times with a single prompt. So then they go through some ways to teach task initiation in everyday situations. You can reinforce prompt task initiation throughout the day by prompting the child to begin tasks and then praising for starting right away. You can provide a visual cue like a note on the table if they need to remember to do something. You can break big tasks into smaller, more manageable pieces. You can have a child make a plan for when or how a task will be done, which gives them ownership and control. And you can have children decide how they want to be cued to begin a task. So if they want an alarm, a kitchen timer, or to start something right after dinner. I was thinking, you know, that's such a good idea to have the child pick their own cue. It's so easy to just set an alarm on your phone or if you have like an Alexa or something It's really easy. It's at your fingertips. And then the child has less to like complain about, be grumpy about because it's like, 
you picked it <laughs> yeah yeah they're not like mom you're always on my case <laughs> yeah, exactly so then they're gonna go through two stories first we have a story of a seven-year-old who isn't getting started on his chores his parents just want him to clear the table and put away his toys they talk to the teacher and he's kind of having the same problem in class he's always the last one to start but she has been using start times to get him going and i just thought this was a good example of getting the teacher's input because maybe the teacher already has a strategy that's working in class yeah and this was the case so they agreed that they'll use a visual timer and when parents say it's time to start the child starts the timer and needs to begin the chore by the time it's up the incentives were that the parent nagging stopped (laughs) and then the child got a free pass if he went five days in a row with starting chores on time where he didn't have to do his chores so some keys just be really consistent when you're starting an intervention like this reinstitute the cues in the timer if the child stops at any time and impose consequences like loss of computer time if constant queuing or nagging is necessary. And then we have one more story or example that they go through. It's an eighth grader who always procrastinates on homework. His grades aren't matching his abilities. He underestimates the amount of schoolwork that he has and the time he needs to complete it. And then he always overestimates the time he has available for other activities. His parents and him meet with someone from school. They come up with the idea to have a coach. And it's a teacher. The kid identifies who he thinks would be a good coach. It's a teacher from the last year, which, wow, I can't believe this teacher. Listen, (laughs) I have a note too about it. I'm like, you know, it's a lot to ask like a teacher to be a coach. And it's not even a current teacher of the child. This isn't someone who's on, we say caseload, but on his roster, you know, he's yeah, I was thinking like, okay, so I'm sorry to jump the gun because I know you're going to talk about this. But the example they gave was like, it doesn't have to be a teacher, it can be an administrator, it can be a counselor, it could be a para. And I was just like, wow, like, <laughs> like they don't have enough. Exactly. Like, here's just another plate. thing for you to take on an administrator. Like, I just, hey, sometimes there's a speech therapist know. on campus just twiddling her thumbs. <laughs> Go and ask her if she could help out. <laughs> Might as well. I know. I just I was thinking like, wow, that's actually really great that they had yeah. examples like we see this work well with these people. I'm like, well, that's really great. Of course, we're all dedicated to seeing kids succeed, but at the same time, plates are full, you know, so I don't know. Yeah. Well, this wonderful teacher would meet (laughs) with... (laughs) would meet with the child for 10 minutes at the end of each day to plan how he would manage his homework assignment that night. And at least two nights per week for the first four weeks, he would instant message the kid. This is Yes, outside of school hours. Yes. Outside of school hours. Yeah, I was like... <laughs> to check in and make sure his, he's doing the plan. What if the guy wants to do something for himself? <laughs> what if the guy has dinner plans? I wanted to go grab a beer, <laughs> but I guess I'm on the clock. <laughs> I, gotta, I am this kid. <laughs> yeah, and they didn't even have smartphones, so he had to go home. <laughs> AOL Instant Messenger, like, hey, buddy. Yeah. Hey, Skater 573. Oh, my gosh. It worked. By the end of the semester, his grades were improved, and they set a new goal to get at least Bs are better the next quarter. So find someone who's willing and can be consistent and then institute a system of rewards or consequences if the child isn't able to follow up on commitments. And then make sure that whoever you choose as a coach is getting feedback from teachers on the child's performance in class. And then if it doesn't work, consider going to bug another staff member. 
if it's not a good fit. <laughs> See who else has been irritating you and put them on. <laughs> I'm sorry. We sound like bitter Bettys right now, just like too burned out on schools. <laughs> but Were you ever asked to do duty? No. I've seen other speech therapists post about that. Me either. I feel like my schools have always been really great about understanding that that's not like within our scope. You weren't employed by a school, right? I think some SLPs get employed by a school where we're typically employed by a district and then assigned to a school. Oh, I see. Yeah, I don't know. I just feel like sometimes boundaries get so wishy-washy. Anyway, whatever. This is really a segue, so just go ahead. <laughs> let's keep moving. All right, let's move on to Chapter 16. This is Promoting Planning and Prioritizing. This is the ability to create a roadmap to reach a goal or complete a task and the ability to make decisions about what's important to focus on. So we plan for kids when they're really young. We set up a task as a series of steps and prompt the child. It's best if you let them see it on paper by creating a list, making lists models desirable behavior that kids will hopefully pick up. Planning becomes really critical later when kids are given long-term projects. Many teachers break down assignments or projects into subtasks. We've talked about this before. It helps students create timelines and deadlines. And I just made a note. They're essentially lending kids their frontal lobe yeah. when they don't have it developed yet. When I was at the middle school, there was one teacher who was so good at this. She was a science teacher. And as I've said before, one of my schools was a math and science magnet school. So it was very rigorous academically. And this teacher was just like, you know how you just meet some teachers in the course of your career that are just like amazing. She was so good. The kids adored her. The other teachers adored her. She was there for everyone. I don't know. She was amazing. She would have been a coach. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So since she was a science teacher, the school had a really big science fair and they all had to work on their projects. And I remember doing some observations in her classroom where they were talking about the science fair project. She had it broken down so well into step by step that I saw them all being held accountable and like learning how to hold themselves accountable for these projects that are just so big and overwhelming. You know, I just, I really admired, they had like a binder that was specific for the project and you were supposed to submit the plan at a certain time. Yeah. And, you know, I just, I really admired that. And I thought, wow, these kids need that scaffolding and to be able to provide that and to set them up for success in high school and in college. I know it probably takes more effort for the teacher, but it's just so the payoff is huge, I think. Well, yeah, and maybe it does take some effort, but maybe that came from year after year having some kids who were just floundering and then they had to put in so much effort on the tail end, you know, to help out. So she just decided to set everyone up. Yes. And she... She was just like such a champion for the kids with IEPs. Like I felt like she was one of those teachers who knew all of the kids accommodations by heart. And so she was just like, you can only do two problems and you have oh extra gosh. time and you get this. She was just the best. Oh, those teachers. So in middle school and high school, kids are expected to plan more independently especially high school, you start applying to college, getting summer jobs, taking the SATs. And if you want to build these skills in everyday situations, you can create plans for your child when they're young. So say, let's make a plan and then write it out. Involve your child in the planning process as much as you can. So ask questions like, what do you need to do first? And then what? And use things a child wants to do, like a project they would want to do. They give the example of building a tree house. That seems very ambitious to me. So I put building a birdhouse, <laughs> something like something they might be interested in where you 
kind of have to plan, maybe get materials, put yeah. something together. Step by step. Yeah. Prompt prioritizing by asking your child what needs to get done first. So during the day, you could say, what's the most important thing you have to do today? Or force the issue by saying things like, you can watch TV when your homework's done. <laughs> this reminded me of that book, Eat That Frog. Have you heard of that book, Adrian? No. <laughs> so the idea is, if, say, you had to eat a frog every single day, what it would probably be the worst <laughs> thing you have to do that day. <laughs> so... <laughs> So you would just eat it right away. If you want to make the rest of your yeah. day better, just eat it right when you wake up, get it over with. And the same with a long to-do list. You have something you're kind of dreading, you get it over with first, and then you coast for the rest of the day. And it really improves everything. So you could be teaching kids that skill when they're young by asking, well, what's the most important thing for you to do today? And then teach them to eat that frog, get it out of the way. So we have a couple stories. First, we have a 13-year-old who struggled to complete long-term projects. The mom noticed that he was putting it off, doesn't tell her about him, and is doing everything else seems to be more important than the project. He's like, well, I've got to do this. I've got to do this first. She comes to realize that he can't plan how to get it done. She sits down with him. They put together a plan. And they estimate how difficult each step is using that 10-point scale. And then they agree to make each step feel like a three or less. The mom built in incentives with a point system, working up to getting a new video game that he wanted. And they put this plan into place. And the next time he had a project, he didn't need the incentives. And his mom noticed that each time they planned for a new project, he was able to do more of the planning by himself. So some keys to success. Get a teacher to help if you don't feel like you have the skills. Some parents are going to see a a project like this and they themselves will become overwhelmed and if that's the case then maybe you want to uh, drive to Adrian's middle school and find that one teacher <laughs> and ask her to help you and she would um, <laughs> it's like wow where are you coming from Minnesota all right okay and then we have a story of a second grader who doesn't have friends nearby this little girl kind of cracked me up. So she always has to have her mom drive her or pick up friends if she wants play dates, but she always forgets to set things up ahead of time. So either her friend won't be able to come or her mom is too busy to take her and then it ruins her day or her weekend. Her mom and her go through all the steps. They list out what you need to do when you're planning something like this. First, ask mom if it's okay. Then ask the friend. Then the friend needs permission. They list out all the steps just like we do with all of these interventions. And then the mom kind of supervises making sure that her daughter is following through. So initially, mom is cueing her to think about weekend plans. But with practice, the little girl is able to plan social events and becomes the social director among her friends. Oh <laughs> if you are doing this kind of plan, you need a child with good task initiation and follow through, which obviously this girl had. She was already just independently planning her own play dates. Wow. And so it worked for her. And then they also just say, make sure that the children your child is trying to set things up with are a good fit and look for regular recurring activities on weekends to get your child involved in as another way to boost their social opportunities and planning skills. All right. So we're going to move on to chapter 17. This is another favorite of mine because it's a weakness, fostering organization. This is the ability to establish and maintain a system for arranging or keeping track of important items. Organization makes us much more efficient as adults. It also makes us less stressed. We tend to feel more comfortable when our surroundings have some degree of order and tidiness. This is probably no surprise, and I'm sure you feel the same way. If things start to feel really messy 
in my house, I start to lose it a little bit. And just organizing, tidying up, cleaning up makes me instantly feel so much less stressed. Same. So at first, adults provide children with organizational systems like bookcases, toy boxes, laundry hampers. We supervise in maintaining tidiness clean things up with the child, break the task down. Like first, let's put all the dirty clothes in the hamper. Then let's put your toys away. And we establish rules like no eating in the bedroom or hang your coat up as soon as you come inside. Kids need reminders when they're young. And then gradually we fade these prompts and children take over organizational systems in middle school or high school. There's a questionnaire on page 240 where you can kind of see where your child falls or a child you're working with falls developmentally in the area of organization. And if you want to foster organization in everyday situations, there are two keys. First, put a system in place and then supervise the child in using the system. It's that simple. Start really small. Highest priorities might be schoolwork, like keeping notebooks or backpack organized or keeping a desk clean. And then involve the child in the planning of an organizational scheme. Go to the office store if you need to and purchase items that will help. The example they were kind of giving is organizing a kid's desk. So once you do set up something like that, make clearing off the desk part of a bedtime routine. And you'll start with supervision, then move to just prompts or reminders, and then just check-ins to see that they've done the task. I don't know about you, Laura, but I feel like organizing is kind of hot right now. You know, like... (laughs) really popular. Oh, yeah, the home edit. (laughs) So it's like you can look on Instagram and find tons of ideas, probably. And since like the container store and even Target, everyone's like so on board with the organizing, you can find really cute stuff. Even 99 cent store has little bins and stuff. There's tons of inspiration out there. I didn't know if I was gonna tell this story, but I've already talked about how I moved recently and the boxes. I still am not unpacked. It's okay. I'm kind of thinking I should take a picture of our one bedroom that is not in use that is filled with my speech therapy stuff because at my old place I had this storage unit in the garage Mm. that I set up with all my speech therapy stuff and now it is just like (laughs) it's it's crazy. So I might take everyone on a journey where I show you what it looks like right now and then I build my storage shed outside and organize everything. Uh, yeah. Make sure you take a photograph of the finished product so your kid can reference it and make sure they've done it correctly when they're organizing on their own. If organization is a strength for you as an adult, modify your expectations of the child because children who are disorganized often don't even notice that there's a mess around them. And they do recommend a book called The Organized Student by Donna Goldberg. Check it out. So now let me tell you the story of a very elaborate plan that a family came up with <laughs> to get their three kids to pick up and put away their belongings. These parents are nothing if not bought in. You know, they're giving it their effort and I appreciate that. <laughs> no one can accuse them of not trying here. All right. So the mess in the house was putting mom in a bad mood when she'd come home to just, you know, the kids stuff everywhere. The dad just wanted to ground the kids for not putting their stuff away. The kids wanted to get paid for tidying up. So they compromise. Here's the plan. At the beginning of each week, they filled it. I have a note about the jar. <laughs> they filled the <laughs> jar with $25 in quarters. I was like, is the man, the man's going to the bank for this? I can't even remember the last time I went inside a bank. Okay. (laughs) When the mom would come home, she would take a quarter out of the jar for each item she found. So the kids were working to keep all the quarters in the jar because they got to split the money at the end of the week. If mom picked up an item that had been left out, it would go into a plastic bin and would be off limits 
to that child for 24 hours unless they wanted to buy it back like a store. So if they if it was homework or like sports equipment that they needed, they had to buy it from their mom. The kids had to have everything picked up by 5 p.m. when mom got home. So they put a whiteboard on the table with the 5 p.m. reminder. And then it also had the names of all three kids so that they could check off their name when they finished. There was also an alarm clock next to the whiteboard that they set off to go. So one kid would set it every day <laughs> to go off at 4.30 p.m. so they would know they have 30 minutes to get everything picked up. The kids really worked together and held each other accountable because they were splitting the cash at the end of each week. $25 split three ways. Now that I've read it a couple times, because I had to read it like, wait, what was the plan? And now that I said it, it does seem more simple once it's right. in effect, because then they're like the keys to success. If a system is too complex or breaks down, simplify it. I mean, this was so elaborate. They said yeah. you could just make a set time before bed when everything needs to get picked up and anything that gets left out is off limits for 24 hours. And you can make it a joint project. So if you as a parent are having the same weakness, you could go, okay, while you tidy up your toys, I'll clear off the kitchen counter. So you're both doing the same type of task. And then we quickly, I'll go through a story of a 14-year-old who always misplaced or lost things. And the parents at first were just like, well, he'll have to suffer the consequences. He'll get bad grades. He won't get to play in his soccer game if he doesn't have his equipment. But then they realized that that wasn't working. Those natural consequences didn't resolve the problem. And they decided to tackle the problem focusing on homework and his bedroom. So for homework, they enlisted help of a teacher. They had a checklist for homework that the homeroom teacher would check every morning. Morning, and then the parents were responsible for helping him make sure he put his homework in his homework folder and the folder in his backpack. And then for the room, they came up with a plan altogether. They took inventory. They looked at what storage they had, what else they needed. The parents wanted labels for everything, but the kid was a little embarrassed. So they settled on labels that could be taken off. They were Velcroed on and they put things into actual storage that he wanted but didn't use regularly, which I think that's key is getting it out of your space so it's not just making more mess. Yeah. And then they turned it into a checklist sequence that he could follow to pick up his room. He put a cue on his computer that would pop up once a day to remind him to pick up. And then parents checked in every other day to determine if he needed to clean his room anymore. And both the room organization and the homework situation improved a lot. Keys with this begin with just one task. If a child is disorganized, many areas of their life are impacted, but it's too much to take on all at once. So start small and after a month or two of working on one area, move to another. And the last chapter we're gonna go through today is chapter 18 instilling time management. So time management is the capacity to estimate how much time you have, how to allocate it, and how to stay within time limits and deadlines. You have to have a sense that time is important. And it's really important to have this skill for adults because we need to be on time, estimate how long it takes to do something and pace our work. Adults who have difficulty with it have trouble sticking to schedules, are chronically late, miscalculate when determining how long it takes to do things. This is a really good skill to teach our kids. We manage time for young children by prompting them to get ready for things and letting them know when they need to start routines. Gradually, we hand the responsibility over to them. They learn to tell time around second grade. And at that point, we start reminding them to check the clock and they become more autonomous. 
Oh, I thought this was interesting. They said sometimes that kids hit a snag around middle school when the demands on time increase just as parents start cutting back on monitoring and supervision. So I do see this. Sometimes you see parents are like, mm. oh, they made it to middle school. They can start doing things on their own. But we know there's like all this crazy growth happening in their frontal lobes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the number of obligations they have are increasing right when the number of distracting activities is also increasing. So they have all these temptations like video games, chatting with their friends, social media, and those are just too great. So they need a lot of help to manage their time effectively. These middle schoolers they cannot catch a break. I know. It's so sad. It's like, what is the what is the benefit of being a middle schooler? What is the pro? I know. Is there anything? No. I don't know. So there's a questionnaire on page 249. You can take a look at if you're worried about where your kid falls developmentally in this skill. And if you want to improve time management in everyday situations, you can maintain a predictable daily routine in your family that helps kids grow up with a sense of time being an orderly progression from one event to another. And it makes it easier to plan their time in between scheduled events. You could talk to kids about how long it takes to do things like chores or homework so they learn time estimation. And you can plan an activity for a weekend or vacation day that involves steps because working on planning skills means you're working on time management skills also. So ask the kid, how long do you think it's going to take to go to lunch or go to the park or go to ice cream? Use calendars and schedules yourself and encourage the child to do the same because that makes time visible and you can purchase a visual timer or clock that shows kids how much time they have left to work. So I did want to mention I once attended a CEU event where a woman was talking. I should look at what it was called. I think it was about executive skills. She was talking about how important it is to make time visible to kids because especially mm. now with smartphones, we look at the time just digitally and you know an analog clock is so important yeah. so I took a strategy from that CEU event where at the beginning of each therapy session we would write down our group plan we would come up with a plan for the session and I would write each thing in a different color dry erase marker on a whiteboard mm. and then I had a cheap clock I got from Target right there on the board and I would draw in the section like in triangles how much so I was like okay we're gonna do like work on our speech on our articulation words for 15 minutes and then we're gonna or like first we'd read a book or whatever it was and I would draw it in and then the kids would be watching the time and they'd be like miss miss time's up <laughs> it's time for the game you know so they were really yeah. watching and it was really effective I think the kids like planning for the session with me so if I can find I think I have a picture of it so if I can find a picture I'll post that I can think of so many benefits to they're probably not asking about the time, which interrupts the session. And some kids are better at that. Some kids are not. How much time? Are we done yet? Can we play the game yet? Is it time to go yet? Yeah, <laughs> it was so simple. Like they just looked, they saw we were still in the red area. And then once it got to green, they were going to get to play or do some other activities. I love that. Yeah. Okay. So we have a seven-year-old who is slow to get ready and always the last one to finish work in class. And his parents come up with a plan for getting him ready in the morning. I'm not going to go through this a lot because basically what they did was created one of those visual schedules we use for kids with autism with the strip of images and he would remove one and put it in a done envelope. Mm. And they motivated him with little small prizes for completing steps in his routine. So that was an effective strategy. And I do think for some kids, not even kids with autism, that's a good strategy to use if they're not managing their time very well. Yeah. And then 
they had a story of an eighth grader who was really bad at estimating how much time things like assignments or chores would take. So his parents told him every day when he got home, they would come up with a homework plan and make estimates of how long each assignment would take. And he needed to start his homework and be done by 9 p.m. so he could get ready for bed. So if his estimates were off by more than 20 minutes, he had to start homework at 4.30, which he hated. But if his estimates were correct, he could determine what time he would start the homework the next day. And apparently it was so motivating to prove his parents wrong and that he could do it, that this worked. This was a system that worked for them. And he gradually improved his ability to estimate how long his assignments would take. And parents did have to introduce a penalty for sloppiness when it was clear he was rushing to make his estimates more accurate. They just say keys to success are parents being really vigilant and involving teachers who can verify the amount and quality of the work completed by the child. So that is it for our chapters today. We covered task initiation, organization, planning and prioritization, and time management. I hope everyone was able to get some strategies and ideas from this information and that it'll help you either with your kids or with the kids you work with. Bye, Adrian. Bye, Laura. The SLP Book Club is not just a podcast, it's a community. Go to facebook.com slash groups slash the SLP Book Club to join the discussion after each episode. Want even more of the SLP Book Club? We've made all the resources for this book, including chapter summaries and visuals, available for free on our Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash the SLP Book Club to download these great materials. To learn more about the SLP Book Club, go to the slpbookclub.com. You can contact us by emailing hello at the slpbookclub.com. Follow us on Instagram at SLP underscore book club. Find us on TikTok at the SLP book club. 